they're going to have to stay on him because they are really good. Oklahoma's really good at getting that, getting him into space on wheel routes and waggles and sluggos and all sorts of different <laughs> route concepts. What? That's just football terms are so funny. Yeah, waggle. Because <laughs> if I took that little snippet of conversation you just had and applied waggle, it to waggle, like waggle. some weird sport in the future, yeah, you'd just be you'd be like, this you'd is, be like, uh huh, yeah, this is gibberish. But I'd yeah. believe it. Welcome to Chapel Belker, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to go over a lot of stuff, actually. We're going to start with uh, the UGA recruiting update, because we are very close to early signing period, and then shortly after that is, of course, the end of the year, and then we get real into all kinds of recruiting goodness. We're going to go over Oklahoma when they have the ball uh, on this episode, and of course with that comes a lot of UGA defense talk. And then um, on our following episode, sometime next week, you're going to hear the opposite when UGA has the ball and what they have to do to beat Oklahoma's defense, which we've talked a little bit about. And we're going to go in depth with all of this, with all of the good, good stats we get from our good friend Bill Connolly and uh, stats we've actually scraped from other places. Yeah. So let's so, start off with some recruiting goodness. Uh, as you may or may not know, next week, next Wednesday, there's going to be a three-day early signing period. This is the first f- such early signing period um in the history of modern college football so uh what i want to do is just go over kind of where uj's class stands right now um and where it looks like things are going to be at the end of this week so what's the point of an early signing period uh and why haven't we had one that's that's a really weighted question actually <laughs> um so basically the idea is that um with the early signing period you know the the previous signing period is in february so the idea is that with an early signing period um students student athletes who are ready to commit can go ahead and commit and not have to worry about the whole you know recruiting process you could make an argument this is that first thing what i just said is what the ncaa will tell you you could make an argument that also you know the real reason is that um college football coaches don't want to have to recruit players all the way through february mm-hmm. and they would prefer to have them recruit or you know commit earlier because once a once a player commits on early national signing day in the sense that like they send in a letter of intent it is a binding contract they can't get out of it yeah so what this will mean for a lot of coaches is that if you can get say 85 percent of your class signed which i think is the goal for most of these big teams you only have to worry about recruiting the last five to eight kids who are going to be in your class students mm-hmm. or players so i don't know really this is kind of uncharted territory we don't really know where this is going to go we you know bud elliott did a survey of college football coaches and gave them anonymity and asked them what their strategy was for uh the early signing period and most of them said they want to have 85 percent of their class signed so for an average class of 25 that looks like 18 to 20 kids Mm -hmm. already signed so i don't know i mean we really don't know how that's going to in fact uh impact everything uh, you know, of course, Nick Saban in his typical Nick Saban nature is grousing about it and saying how, you know, they have to track, they have to do all of this prep during bowl season and mm-hmm. playoff season and be recruiting and doing um, bowl practices at the same time. You know, it helps smaller teams in some ways, because if you have a player, so like, basically, you get to find out who is committed to you and who is not, because if they don't sign in December, then they're not actually committed. They've said they're committed, but they're not, right? And so if you have a, a, a pretty good player and you're a lower tier team 
and maybe they're being recruited by a higher tier team, right? Like, let's say you're like Kansas State and you have a player that's being recruited by Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Well, on early signing day, that player uh, who's being recruited by Oklahoma might find out they don't actually have a committable offer to Oklahoma. So then it's Kansas State. You can come in and say, hey, uh, we'll take your we'll take your signature right now. Right. And so there's going to be a lot of like politics and jockeying and you're already seeing teams are asking certain players to it's a three day long signing period. And some teams are asking certain players to sign later in the three days so that they can make sure that they don't get a commitment from somebody else. And like so there's there's still a lot of moving pieces on it. So I don't know. It's there's really it's really uncharted territory. Um, But what I want to do right now is I just want to go over sort of like where UJA's class is right now where I think it'll go, um, who I think they'll get, and who I think they have a chance at. So we currently, UGA currently has 18 uh, players committed. Uh, We have, let's see, two five-stars, or no, sorry, three five-stars, nine um, four-stars, and then the remaining five are three-stars. This class is highlighted currently in terms of commitments by Justin Fields, the number one overall quarter uh, dual-threat quarterback in the nation, and Zamir White, the number one overall running back in the nation. Arguably also um, Adam Anderson, who I think is the f- number one is the number one outside linebacker in the nation. Uh, he might also play defensive end. All three of those guys are, well, Justin Fields and Adam Anderson are both from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be Harrison and Rome, respectively. Zamir White is from Scotland County, South uh, North Carolina. Actually, pretty close to where Todd Gurley came from. He's kind of in the Todd Gurley model, too. As of right now, and just for the record, all of these rankings and numbers are going to be per 24-7. But um, per 24-7... UGA currently has the third-ranked class in the nation. The 24-7 composite for UGA is 271, which is like the the total cumulative class ranking uh, based on this point system they have. Uh, number two is Texas at 284. Number th- uh, one is Ohio State at 308. UGA, I think, has a very decent chance of going into um, next weekend with either the second or first-ranked class in the nation because of several uncommitted um, prospects that are out there. Uh, chief among them, who... There are basically three players that it seems like the consensus among recruiting reporters is that UJ is going to get, and that is Jamari Sawyer, Brenton Cox, and Channing Tindall. Uh, Sawyer is a five-star offensive guard out of Pace Academy. By all accounts, this is the best inside offensive line prospect that's come through um, the high school ranks nationally in about the past 20 years. He is going to be a very special player. People are saying that he should plug in at, on day one as an offensive guard uh, next year. Britton Cox is a five-star, strong defensive end. He may be an outside linebacker uh, in the Davin Bellamy role, but he may also be more of like a attacking DN. We'll see. He goes to Stockbridge in Georgia. For a long time, he was an, he was an Ohio State commit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decommitted from Ohio State, and it seems like he's probably leaning towards UGA. The, neither of these, uh, neither anything that I'm about to say is official. This is just what I've read. Chang Tyndall is um, an outside linebacker who UGA plans to use as an inside linebacker. He's a four-star from Spring Valley, South Carolina. For a long time, it seemed like Tyndall was destined for South Carolina, but then that's kind of cooled off. And as of this last weekend, the, everything I've read has said that it's it's kind of leaning. He's leaning UGA, but we're not for sure on that Anything last can one. happen. Yeah. So UGA has a legitimate shot. So if, if UGA gets those three players... Um, in addition to the 18 it already has, that'll put it in the 290s, which will put it uh, firmly in the uh, second place class in the nation. Um, UJ also has a, I would say, not insignificant shot at the following five players. Um, I'm going to say in order of their likelihood to commit to UGA, 
Uh, Tommy Bush is a four-star wide receiver from Texas. Uh, he was committed to A&M, and now we're, it's a battle with between A&M and us. And it looks like that he it's looks like that it looks like he's leading UGA, but we're not going to know about him until fe- uh, February. Gotcha. Luke Ford is a four-star tight end from Illinois. He's the number one tight end in the nation. It seems like that this is a battle between. Well, I'd heard Alabama, I've heard Florida State, I've heard Clemson, but it looks like we have a pretty good shot with him. Cade Mays is a five-star offensive tackle from Knoxville Catholic. So weirdly enough, like Cade Mays is a um, he's a not he's a Tennessee legacy. His dad played for Tennessee, but Tennessee has been such a dumpster fire that it looks like that they're not going to get him. This looks to be like a battle between UJ and Clemson at this point, and people. He visited last weekend, and it seems like it's still very much up in the air. Some people are saying, like, yes, you know, Cade Mays is definitely coming to UGA, and some people are saying that it looks like he's going to Clemson, so we'll still see. KJ Henry, he's a another defensive end who is a five-star who goes to West Forsyth. Uh, that's going to be a battle between us, Alabama, and South Carolina. I think, actually, South Carolina might get him. Um, and then, finally, who I don't think we'll get, but I guess we have a decent shot at, would be Micah Parsons, who is another five-star defensive end who is from Pennsylvania, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, who looks like he's a uh, – well, going into the weekend, he looked like he was a virtual Penn State lock. So that's a lot of names to throw at you at once. A whole once. bunch of names. Yeah, but what I want to get across here is that sitting here at 271 on the 24 – like because, uh, because 24-7 uses like a consistent standard of points to rank classes, we can actually put this class into some historical perspective with the other classes UJ assigned. So the long, the long and the short of it is that UJ has a chance at the number one class for the first time in modern recruiting history. Um, and it seems a virtual lock for back-to-back top three classes. I would see that I would say the highest percentage chance at this point is the number two class in the nation. Um, UGA is also well on track to land a um, to land it only its second class with a 24/7 composite score over 300. Uh, 300 in the composite score is considered to be among recruiting people sort of the um, standard benchmark for an elite class. So I think we mentioned this uh, we've mentioned this at points in the throughout the year. But there's this idea kind of circulating that this this current team that we have right now will be the least talented team that Kirby has at yeah. UGA. And you and you can see why people think that based on these Just these recruiting classes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, UGA has an outside shot. Not a great shot, but an outside shot at having seven five-stars in this class. Whew. Right? UGA has a pretty good shot at having... I mean, they already have three, and they got a pretty good shot at two more on Wednesday. So I mean I would say the Pretty highest solid. likelihood is five five stars. So that's 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 an incredible class. Um, you know, really getting down to who's the first and second. That's kind of quibbling. It looks like that really the only thing we have left, other than those um, those pro- prospects I just spoke of, which were mostly either linemen, defensive ends, or wide receivers. The only other need would be cornerbacks. There's two cornerbacks. Um, Isaac Taylor Stewart is a five star out of California who I. I don't know if we're getting him, but I, we're taking a shot at it. And then Devod Wilson is a four-star out of Miami, and I think we are going to get him. I mean, I guess really the the biggest update right now, and we'll, we'll know more in the next couple of weeks. The biggest update right now is that UJ is just lighting the world on fire and recruiting, and recruiting at a level that not even Alabama is right now. And you know that's something that we definitely need to take into account going forward because S&P Plus is modeled over five-year and two-year recruiting rankings, and if this class holds as it is, our our two-year recruiting r- ranking is going to be about as high as anybody's in the nation because last year's our was um, our recruiting rank was three, and this year it looks like it'll either be two or one. So, just something to keep in mind, keep your mind on that this this kind of stuff never ever sleeps, even going into the Rose Bowl. Um, so yeah, that's about all I got on recruiting. 
Nathan's. That's, that's it. That's all. Nathan's recruiting corner. <laughs> Nathan's recruiting corner. Those are with K's. If you guys have any questions about any of the recruiting things that uh, Nathan just went over, where he finds all of his information, you can message us, email us, or any of those things. Hit um, him on Twitter. Yeah, so hit him on Twitter. It. He he is very responsive on Twitter. And yeah. if you're not actually looking for anything recruiting wise, you can kind of follow the rabbit hole that is uh, Nathan on Twitter. Um, yeah, trolling other teams. Uh, fans, that sort of thing. Fans of a like a UGA fan this year. Yeah, this week. This week, yeah, that that was a good time. That was a real good time. Um, but yeah, so so that's a little bit about recruiting. We'll continue recruiting as uh, the recruiting season goes on, and we'll also follow some of these kids into the actual um, off season. And any news we get from the practice field, we'll deliver it straight to your ears. So uh, you have that to look forward to in the off season, at the very least. Yeah. So. Let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. So I said earlier we're going to talk about the we're going to talk about Oklahoma on offense, which will also coincide with talking about UGA on defense and how these two teams stack up. Uh, in next week's episode, we'll talk about the opposite. So getting right into it, we're going to talk about Oklahoma on offense, which is regarded as the best offense in the nation right now, which. They do have the stats to prove it, which is just fine. They do have the Heisman quarterback uh, leading their offense, which is also fine. We're not, you know, we're, we're going to talk about ways to beat him and, and what we can expect from him and what we'd like to see and what we hope to see, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but it's important to be like, it's, you know, the core of what we do in this show is that we are honest about. Yes. We are honest about the stats. So, yeah, Oklahoma is really, really good. Oklahoma is very good. On offense. They have been good for the last three Efficiency, years. Efficiency, yeah. explosiveness, S&P Plus rankings are both one in the mm-hmm. nation. Finishing drives is nine. Field position is 114th. Uh, I wonder if that's just... That's probably representative more of their special teams than it is of anything to do with their offense, honestly. Yeah, um, I was thinking that too. Their special teams are 56th. I think you know their field position could be a combination of special teams and just the fact that their defense is not very good. I was also thinking, because it's right around average field position is 27 and, and a half. So it could also be, I'd like to look back, it's something that we didn't actually do, but I'd really like to go back and see like how many touchbacks they've actually had. And that is probably coming back from how high scoring this team is, that most of the kickoffs that they're facing are touchbacks. Yeah, that, that actually might. That would skew that a lot. Yeah, that might have something to do. So yeah, that's not necessarily anything bad or or good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't really think it's reflective on how good yeah. they are. I don't think that that's a place we can get an advantage against. If them. anything, it lends into how explosive and efficient they are. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, when you have an explosive and efficient offense at that level, I mean, what you're what we're talking about is an offense that doesn't get behind the chains and then also can throw deep and run for big gains, which is really hard to defend against. I mean. Sort of one of the classic uh, throw deep situations is when you get into like a second and one. And frankly, this is the kind of offense that finds itself in a lot of second and one. So, you know, it, it's one thing if they are staying on track to get first downs, if they're getting themselves into second and fives and third and fours, that's one thing. But if they're in a lot of second and ones, like that does not really, that does not bode well for our, for yeah. our performance in this game. <laughs> A lot of people will talk about how good uh, Baker Mayfield is. And it's not just Baker Mayfield. He is a, a pivotal piece in their offensive machine and their offensive scheme and everything. But he is definitely helping out the rest of the game as well. Uh, we already said that the the passing specifically, they have number one overall passing S&P Plus. Their passing success rate is one. The passing ISO PPP is six. Rushing S&P Plus is also one. Their success rate is three. And their ISO PPP is 14. So basically, you know, what Nathan has to say, a big takeaway is that just many, they take as many plays as they need to score and they're not picky about how they do it. They just do it. Um, yeah. And so they're, they're getting production from both sides of the ball, which 
we'll talk a little bit more about that because a lot of things we're hearing have to do with like you got to cut off this from Baker Mayfield. You got to make him yeah. throw the ball, and yeah. you got to make him this and that. So yeah. we'll, I mean, we'll break that down to what that means. And and to add to what you were saying about the takeaway, I mean, I think when we think about sort of the 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 highest level of like not strategic but tactical thoughts about offense, a lot of times what we think about is. Well, you know, how does this offense exploit inefficiencies, right? Like, you know, if you have a talent deficiency, how do you exploit inefficiencies in the field? Do you get your players in space? Do you, do you, you know, what kind of formation stuff, what kind of movement stuff? And see, the problem and the, the hard thing with defending Oklahoma's offense is that they do all of that, right? They're, they're, they're incredibly talented. They have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. So they are very rarely at a talent deficiency but they still do all of the efficiency things that a spread offense would do right they 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 split you out wide they get their players in space they they run a lot of like really shifty tricky stuff and on top of that they're also just good so that's like that is what leads to being the number one overall ranked offense in the nation and i think that also kind of ties into their adjusted pace is 93rd in the nation so they know they can beat you fast they can play with tempo but they don't have to right sometimes they'll just go out there and i don't know like they they don't always need to trick you to score. Yeah, it just seems like a it's it's very much a talent thing, which we can talk more about that as well. Um, you know, going into later segments regarding just coaching staff and whatnot, because we're gonna try and figure out based on stats how do you beat Oklahoma. It's yeah. not just gonna be us like, oh yeah, Oklahoma's really good. We all know that best offense, yada yada yada, pretty bad defense. But we're gonna talk about what you know specifically which stats are the ones we need to exploit and how you know we think we can beat them. But before I even get there, I am going to talk more about, you know, how Oklahoma is a lot like UGA. <laughs> because uh, there are more things to highlight. You know, last week we mentioned we want to make sure that, um, you know, we, we tend to have a bias against teams that aren't in the SEC. And we tend to hear things like, oh, they're good, but they're not an SEC team. They're they're real physical, but they're not as physical as an SEC team. Um, I actually heard Texas, one of the Texas coaches actually said something like that. He was saying that they are surprisingly physical. And JT Barrett was saying the same thing. And then um, somebody took that quote and said, yeah, they are really physical, but they're not SEC physical. And I'm like, well, I don't care. You know? Well, yeah. And what, is that, what does that, <laughs> what does that even mean? mean, really? I mean, and I, I see I've highlighted here, like, UGA currently has three running backs with 500 plus yards on the season. OU also has three running yeah. backs with 500 plus yards in the season. And Baker Mayfield is getting close to 500 yards. They can run. He's like 447 right now on the season, I think. Yeah. I mean, and Oklahoma certainly isn't quite the rushing team. Like, so Oklahoma's rushing SMT plus is one, but uh, and the rushing SM, the rushing success rate is three, which to me says that they can just get three or four yards of chunk because their rushing ISOPPP is relatively low, fourteenth, and their power is down at ninety eighth. So you know if you look if you contrast that with UGA's rushing footprint, um, r- rushing SMP plus eighth, rushing success rate fifteenth, but their rushing ISOPPP is seventh, um, and they have a much better power success rate. So. Uh, I really think that this is a team that will run on you. It's a little bit different of a team. Uh, this is a team that will pass on you until you really focus on defending the pass, and then they'll run on you. That mm-hmm. Not the way that we do it, which is that we basically run on you until your bones are jelly. So that's that's really interesting, too, is because I was looking at all those numbers, and you wouldn't think of Oklahoma being a run team necessarily, but they do have a ton of yards on the season. And uh, I think a lot of those yards definitely come from big plays, like going down their individual stats like their yards per carry for a lot of these players are like six seven eight ten you know it's it's all these really big big numbers because they're not just getting a few yards they're getting you know they're, they're getting the big plays they're exploiting um holes on these defensive lines and everything mm-hmm. uh, but and and just tiredness on the yeah just tiring them out too, because yeah. they're throwing on them for you know three quarters and they're running 
and they're just scoring with their legs at that point. But I really also wanted to see, I really wanted to see how much of that can be attributed to, um, you know, running first or passing first, and then how much of that is just from being so far up on a team already, and then just running the ball to run the clock out. Yeah, um, I mean, and if you look at their uh, offensive, we we don't really know that by quarter. Yeah. Um. I mean, their quarter point. It's really funny. Their quarter. Their uh, by quarter S and P plus overall is just one all the just way down. One all the way down. Yeah. First down. Well, actually, thirty fourth on third down S and P plus, which is weird. Yeah. I think it's just because they're so efficient. They just get ahead of the chains. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that more later. Yeah. But if you say, look at their uh, their offensive uh, footprint, their standard downs run rate is eighty second. So they don't actually run that much on standard downs. Their pass down run rates is seventy first. So they don't actually run that much on on offensive downs either. And if we look at like the overall, if we look at like carries per rusher, which is another kind of like rough um, estimate. So like 162 yards, 119 yards, 65 yards are the three uh, most prolific um, uh, rushing players. Uh, on the other hand, UGA 191, 131, and 74. So, I mean, they are a little bit behind UGA in terms of number of rushes attempted, but not mm-hmm. that much. It's an interesting, interesting team. And I want to know how much of it is not necessarily skewed because I don't think there's, a, there's an error here that this team really is the best uh, team offensively in the nation. I'm just trying to figure out where it all comes from is the, the the fun part of all this. But I have seen on passing downs, third and fourth down, they are their weakest. Uh, like you just mentioned a second ago, third down S&P Plus is 34th. Which um, is still good. Which that's is still really good. It's just yeah. like you have to look for something to find it. Yeah, that's that's up in the 75th percentile. Um, yeah. And so that's that's not terrible. That's not bad at all. But that is where Baker Mayfield tends to get sacked the most. Yeah, it, their their sack rate is actually not his adjusted sack rate is seventy second in the nation, mm-hmm. not, which you know is not it's super average. great. Yeah, um, you know he has thrown a lot this year. Uh, he has three hundred sixty nine attempts. Uh, contrast that with UGA. <laughs> I, I can't even. UGA currently has one hundred and four. Or sorry, two hundred thirty uh, attempts from Jake Fromm. So nice. You know, just a, a silly anting two hundred thirty. This is just a team, there's no way to cut it up that statistically from raw number standpoint and just like the eye test, they're just really good mm-hmm. on um, on offense. But I do want to, I want to talk about sort of like what we're hearing and what we think about this offense and what stats we have. Now that we've kind of looked at the raw, bigger picture numbers, I want to think about, you know, what are the narratives we're hearing that we want to refute, but also what are things that based on the numbers that we've read that we can put into action strategically and tactically as uh, you know that uj can put an action to try to stop this team mm-hmm. so what are, what are you hearing right now that you wanted to refute so this is the first time that oklahoma and uj have played and so people keep trying to find reference points they keep trying to compare these teams to other teams that these teams have played so the the one i've heard the most is uga looks like tcu mm-hmm. and i think that's really dumb <laughs> first of all <laughs> okay well said. Um, uh, you know, just putting that right out there, right ahead. No, yeah. TCU is a good team. I will say that TCU is a good team, and they've they've proven that they're uh, they are a good team. They're probably one of the better defensive teams in the Big Twelve, um, right around there with Texas. And then um, you know OSU is a pretty balanced team as well, but OSU being Oklahoma State. But um, I just want to put that there, put that out there that I don't think we we look like TCU. I think we look more like Ohio State in yeah. terms of talent. I mean, and, and uh, in terms of scheme. TCU, yeah, in terms of scheme. Yeah, TCU runs a four two five, which is kind of a funky scheme where you have mm-hmm. a bunch of um, cornerbacks. And TCU is also known for recruiting high three stars and four stars and turning yeah. them into five star players or even two stars sometimes. So it's not like I, I would be I would hesitate to say that the talent is the same. I'm not saying that 
you know, we're going to beat Oklahoma. I'm just saying that comparing us to TCU is kind of like just in terms of uh, recruiting record and rude. quality of talent, just kind of <laughs> dumb. Um, now, I do, I do think one comparison to TCU that makes sense is that I think Gary Patterson has a long history of doing very well after he has some time off, time off to plan for people. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't really bear itself out in the Big 12 championship, but he has a he has a history of like getting people when he has time off. So I think that is one comparison you can make in the sense that like it seems like Kirby Smart is a little bit that way as well. You wrote this down, and I think it's true, that another narrative we want to refute is the whole, well, you got to just stop the run and then make Baker Mayfield throw, which... I mean, Mayfield's 34-5 and five at Oklahoma in the last three years. Yeah, he's pretty darn good. Though, um, with that in mind, we can take that little quote and try and make it work for us. It's not about cutting the run game off. It's not as simple as that. It's not about just cutting the run game off and making him throw. It's not that simple. It is about making him one-dimensional. But what mm. is the one-dimensional... What, what does that look like, really? So we did take a lot of... Not a lot of, but we took the five games that he has lost, and we kind of looked at what those all had in common. Like Nathan said, Baker Mayfield is 34-5 and five at Oklahoma in his last three years, which is very good. But in the games that he's lost, there's been some similarities. There's been them. some real similarities. In three of the five games that he's lost, uh, Oklahoma has rushed for less than 100 yards, mm-hmm. which seems good. And you can draw that same comparison to UGA, who has held uh, all teams this year at 113 yards per game on average on the ground. So that's pretty close. Yeah. It's all right. Over his last five losses, though, he has been sacked for a combined 17 times. Yeah, you got to hit him. It looks <laughs> you like. got to hit him. Yeah, you got to shake him up. You got to. So that's the only way I would say we need to make him throw. If you take away the run game, he's going to need to pass more. He has. And, and when he passes, we need to hit him. Yeah. You know, Mayfield has a Mayfield has a reputation as being good on the run. Yeah. If he gets flushed, if he has to improvise, he's really good. So what you have to do to avoid that is you have to close the pocket around him and get a guy in his face. Mm-hmm. And so whether that looks like quarterback pressures or sacks is less important than the fact that you have a hand in his face on a, as many snaps as you can. I was going to add to what you're saying. I know that we've, in a way, struggled to pass the rest of the season, but uh, we're, we much prefer getting people out into space and tackling them solo, it seems. But it did seem like this past Auburn game, we had we were very much on the pass rush game. Yeah, like, yeah, we we applied a lot of very pressure. into it, and I think that comparing Jared Stidham to Baker Mayfield isn't entirely correct. Um, and but there are some similarities still. They are both pocket passers. Jared Stidham can also run, so I think you can handle both of those quarterbacks kind of in the same way. In in a way, you know, Baker Mayfield. If you want to use a stat that we don't ever talk about because it really doesn't mean anything, QBR. Um, Baker Mayfield's QBR is like a full 20 points higher than Jared Stidham's. And Jared Stidham was the second best quarterback we faced all season. So it is definitely a higher talent threshold, but I think you can handle them the same way. I mean, it is a higher talent threshold, but I would say outside of Baker Mayfield, like is Auburn significantly less talented than Oklahoma? I wouldn't say so. I also think that they also have a better offensive line. Um, Just comparing from what other professionals have actually said in um, college football, I I was reading some articles from Texas coaches saying that and I quote, it was something along, oh, I'll paraphrase, I can't quote it because I don't have it written down, but Texas coach is saying that the they have a feeling that Baker Mayfield's um, guards are garbage. Really? They're, yeah, just, they're saying like that's that's where you get in. Um, and if other coaches have seen it, I can guarantee you that Kirby Smart has mm-hmm. also seen it, and he is watching and preparing for that specifically. So if we narrow it down, we, t- we just talked about Baker Mayfield's whole career, but if we look at just the, the teams this year that have given them trouble, uh, Oklahoma trouble offensively, it was... Um, Texas and Iowa State. So what I did was I looked at both of I looked at both Texas and Iowa State's like advanced statistical profiles and kind of drilled down into what they did well. Um, both of those teams actually have pretty average defenses. Well, a little bit above average um, in the between thirty to fifty range defensively. 
Um, but they kind of have some things in common. They at least have moderate defensive efficiency, so they're decent at getting teams to be at least a little bit behind the chains. They're at least mediocre at finishing drives, which means you know if you get inside the 40, they'll hold you to, say, below five points as opposed to just six. Mm-hmm. And they all have a good but not great Havoc rate. And in fact, both of those two teams and UGA have an overall Havoc rate of 16%, which is you know just average. So what I can infer from those three numbers is that basically the game plan against these guys is to make them earn their points on big throws, which they can do, and big runs, which they can do, and use those big throws and big runs as opportunities to create Havoc plays. Because a lot of times, the times when you're trying to throw up, when you're trying to set up a big play, especially on a throw, is when you leave yourself more open to a Havoc play. Right, you know, if you're mm-hmm. throwing deep, you're gonna have more time in the pocket. If you're trying to do a trick play, you're gonna have more time with the ball behind the line of scrimmage, right? So those kinds of things that are sort of like high variance plays where they're either gonna be a touchdown or a tackle for loss, those are the kinds of things that you have to force them into, and then you have to make plays on those plays. What that tells me is also is that offensively, this is a team that kind of thrives on um, efficiency, right? They are efficient, and that's what makes them so explosive is mm-hmm. that you just can't get them into third and long. And when you get them into third and long, they're actually relatively worse than yeah. they are the rest of the time. So our efficiency defensively is what's going to lead to our explosiveness. We're going to get Havoc plays because we force them into third and longs, not because we just are good enough to get Havoc plays against them, because I think they're very good. You know, and if you look at it, Baker Mayfield's only real issue sort of from an eye test standpoint is that just like every other quarterback, he doesn't do well when he's harassed. He's really good on the run, but if you get a guy fencing him off or you get a guy in his face, or you get a guy hitting him, he's he's worse, right? Mm-hmm. Um and per per pro football focus uh who does like a bunch of advanced stats grading of individual players they graded out Baker Mayfield as the number one quarterback at pretty much every like plausible consistent um statistical and subjective measure except for his uh turnover worthy throws which is balls that should be picks so you got to figure that I I think he averages something like 2.8 per game and we have to turn those into picks. When he throws throws that should be turnovers, they have to become turnovers. And I like that you brought up turnovers because, as it turns out, ha-ha, um, <laughs> Oklahoma's not very good. They're not very lucky when it comes to turnovers, which is great for us. They rank 31st in turnover margin, which uh, is still pretty good. But also all of those five games that I didn't actually write this down, but um, all those five games, another thing that they all had in common was uh, Baker Mayfield threw at least two interceptions of the five games. I think three of them had turnovers from forced fumbles. Mm -hmm. And so we all know that fumbles are bad. We all know the interceptions are bad, but they're particularly bad for Baker Mayfield, which is good. I mean, Baker Mayfield is incredibly accurate. I mean, he does. It's not like he has a cannon arm or anything and he's not like a six, six or anything. What he does is he just throws a really accurate ball. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And when he gets in rhythm, he's lethal, right? So, I mean, it makes sense that what you have to do is get him out of rhythm. And so that's going to mean hitting him. It's going to mean making them be less efficient, getting some pass breakups, and then turning that opportunity from, you know, of making them inefficient into big plays, Um, which, you know, is of course easier said than done. Another thing that I think is we can talk about percentile performance too. It, Oklahoma seems like a team that plays up to the the level of the team they're playing against. Like their percentile performance kind of goes all over the place depending on the season and the rank of the opponents they right. play, which is really interesting. Uh, but like for instance, kind of performed just at an average, like well, they were average across the board. It seems they were average against Ohio State, but Ohio State's the best game that they played, the mm-hmm. best team they played. But if you look at like Oklahoma State, the second best team, ninety three percent percentile performance offensively, twelve mm-hmm. percent defense. Well, we'll talk about defense later. Yeah, we'll talk. If about you that look later. at TCU, seventy eight percent offensive um, 
against TCU. And then the second time, 71%. So yeah. it's like they tend to bring a pretty good game against good teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, West Virginia is a decent team, 96%. Uh, Iowa State's a def- de- well. See, Iowa State is the one outlier because they lost to Iowa State, mm-hmm. and you know their uh, overall percentile performance was fifty-eight, which is their lowest percentile perform- percentile performance. Actually, no, their lowest percentile performance is against Kansas State, fifty-seven mm-hmm. percent, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Which the game they, they still won, yeah, yeah, in overtime. They just had a garbage defense that yeah. game, which which we're going to talk about more about that. But I, I mean, I think we big picture, right? Like we said, make them inefficient, turn that inefficiency into havoc plays. Yeah. I think. The only like specific statistical note that I have is, or not statistical, but tactical note that I have is that Roquan Smith will almost certainly be spying Mayfield, which means oh, yes. that the second inside linebacker, which I think is going to be Natrace Patrick and Lorenzo Carter, are going to be responsible for uh, tight end Mark Andrews, who has been, he's probably the best tight end in the nation this year. I think he won whatever the big tight end award is. Man, um, oh God, just looking down their yards per catch is disgusting. Mm-hmm. yeah they're really good yeah i just so you're talking about mark andrews their tight end he's he's caught for 922 yards this season 15 and a half yards per catch eight touchdowns and then it doesn't get much different from there depending on the targets they're all well above like yeah. they're well in double digits each of them yeah so i mean part of what i'm hoping and not hoping but part of what i'm thinking about this game is we're gonna and this kind of is a good transition into our next episode which we'll talk about next week but I think Oklahoma's going to get their points. Yeah. I think Oklahoma is going to probably score 24 to 30. Um, the question is, you know, Bob Stoops' defenses have a habit of crapping the bed. Mm-hmm. So the question is, will they crap the bed against what is a very good UGA offense? Um, and can UGA, I mean, and that's what I'm thinking is all of my talk about, you know, turning inefficiency into havoc and all of my talk about that kind of stuff, that really what that has more to do with is just like, is UGA a good enough defense to get two stops on Oklahoma? Because I think it's going to be not the first person to X number of points. I think it's the first person to X number of stops. Yeah. Um, if UGA gets a couple of stops, it's going to put itself in a really good spot. If Oklahoma, inversely, with their pretty bad defense, gets a couple of stops, that also looks very good for them, right? So mm-hmm. I actually think that the total raw number of points matter less than just conversions into punts. And even, honestly, putting turning touchdowns into field goals. Yeah. We need, yeah, we finishing we need, drives is going to be an incredibly important part of this. Oh, geez, it's going to be so good. Last little bit of this episode, we talked about stats. Now we're moving into other things. Um, we got some more reviews. We got two Facebook reviews that we actually missed last week, so yep. our bad. But our first review comes from, and we will use their names because they're all on Facebook on our page. The first one's Jeff Momquist. It's a five star review. Jeff, we actually talked to a lot, it seems, over email for the most part mm-hmm. and through other means as well. Does he have a Twitter? Is he a Twitter guy? I, don't uh, know. I think so. We'll see. It is I don't think it. his name's Jeff Malmquist on Twitter. No. Anyway, Ryu says, as a stats geek, this is right up my alley. And like Shakira said, stats don't lie. What's fascinating is they do an amazing job with score predictions based on their stats. It's almost like seeing into the future, except effing Auburn. <laughs> yeah, we all missed that one. God, I hate Auburn, he says. Anyway, they share obscure stats I had no idea existed. I use these obscure stats to enhance my prowess as my office's best Georgia fan. Mission accomplished. It is worth noting that Jeff actually left this review before the SEC championship, so... That's my boy. That's You got what you needed, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second one comes from Terry Nelson. Terry says, it's also a five-star review. Uh, I really don't have time to listen to a lot of podcasts, but this is one I make time for. Great show, guys. Thanks, Terry. Terry's, um, Terry's the father of the best man in my wedding. Really? Yeah. And Terry, uh, like he said, he doesn't listen to a lot of podcasts. But I have liked uh, and enjoyed hearing from Ryan 
that Terry listens to our podcast and they talk about it. Uh, in fact, they watched every Terry lives um, back where we all grew up. Ryan now lives in Atlanta. And so Ryan will go back on Saturdays to watch the games with his dad and they'll use stats and whatnot to discuss it. Like oh, gentlemen. That's so sweet. Yeah. You can start. Over. Um, we have a few new Patreons. We have a few uh, new Patreons whose names we are not going to say out loud totally, which I just did a minute ago. So we've got uh, Harrison and Kyle just both pledged uh, $5 on the 14th and the 15th. Thank you so much to both of you. Also, we got a um, we got an email today from Mark uh, asking if he could do saying that you know hey I've got I've already got way too many subscriptions and I don't want to do something you know I don't want to subscribe to something but is there a way that I can just give you X number you know X cents per episode uh, and of course you can we're thirty episodes in so however you want to prorate that out or if you just want to send us a lump sum we actually have a PayPal link where you can send it to us directly. Um, we will put that PayPal link on, it's already on Twitter and Facebook, but we'll put it up on the website as well. Uh, Ian, hopefully we ask you before this. <laughs> no, no. You know what, Ian? I already put I this like on Slack. I like asking Ian for things on... Ian, I put this on Slack, so we're not asking you this via the via the episode, but you will hear this, and hopefully it'll be <laughs> up already. So we have a PayPal link. If you'd like to just send us a, a lump sum, we um, appreciate it. I feel a little bit weird about that. If you do send us a lump sum, um, I will personally just send you... I will treat you as though you are a, P- a Patreon subscriber for however much you set the time that you yeah. send us because uh, I, I don't ever want anyone to just give us random money and feel like that they're not getting anything out of it. Yeah. Um, so we will definitely send Mark the, the gag reel and whatever extra uh, podcast that we start doing. You're still getting it, Mark. Yeah. The only other thing I want to say is I think that we have a lot of really exciting things going on going forward. And so uh, we're really excited to evolve this podcast forward and start doing some new things and getting... Uh, new types of episodes and new people to talk to. So, you know, as we move forward to the, through this off season and through what we hope is a pretty long postseason, um, we're really excited to watch this thing grow. And what we need from all you guys is just any feedback that you have. If you like something, if you don't like something, if you think it's stupid, if you love it, whatever. Um, anything that you can tell us on Twitter, or Facebook, or email is always going to be very, very useful. As much as we are in this for our own happiness, and it's something fun that we do, we part of that is, you know, your happiness too. And yeah, we want to make sure we're making a good show. And what that looks like to us is making a show that you enjoy. And so mm-hmm. if there's anything you have to say or add, or you'd like us to do or never do again, then just let us know. And we're happy mm-hmm. to oblige. Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, Mark was one of our first uh, reviews way back in the day. And he said, I really like this show. It's really great. Um, I wish that the audio sounded better. And I was like, got it. And he... <laughs> and we fixed it. Yeah, he actually fixed thanked it. us today. He thanked us in that email where he asked if he could just give us money, which was cool. Um, I also want to say the only reason we put together the Patreon and the PayPal at this point, because we, we do feel weird saying like, hey, these are the ways you can do that. The only reason mm-hmm. that ever even happened was because people said, how do I contribute? Right. And, and, you know, I think it's important for you, for y'all to understand that like, we're, (laughs) it's very unlikely that we're ever going to get paid enough money through Patreon to make profit. Mm -hmm. Anything that we get, we're going to just turn right back into the show. And whether that's expanding our data, our stats capabilities and doing databasing, or that is doing merchandising, or that is improving our equipment, that's where the money is going to go. It is definitely not going into our pockets. You know, we have no illusions about making this particular podcast a career. There is one more thing we do have. Um, we're going to be in a, a live show at the Rook and Pond in downtown Athens. Oh, yeah, we are. I forgot about that. Yeah. Those of you who don't know what the Rook and Pond is, it is a board game cafe that I helped open. Um, it actually lives right beneath the Creature Comforts Brewery that I work at currently. And so 
I will be there because I am a co-host on the Rookin' Podcast, which is just a little show that gives the cafe a bit of personality. Um, those of you who don't know what it is, it's a board game cafe with 900 board games. There's coffee, there's booze, there's food. It's a fantastic date spot and a great place to bring your kids to. They're open early in the mornings and the weekends. Absolutely true. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, Nathan and I are both very involved with things they do there. Nathan runs uh, once a month with our friend Peter a uh, RPG night that they usually will teach a game and they'll just kind of bring people in that don't know much about RPGs. Um, but yeah, the, the Rook and Pond does a lot of great things to the community. But about the show itself, it is a live show regarding Star Wars. So if you have opinions or thoughts or anything you'd like to talk about regarding Star Wars, that is well, exactly what we're going to be doing. Specifically regarding the newest Star Wars movie. Yes. This sort of flowed out of a Facebook post on my personal Facebook where I started yelling about the way people analyze and critique movies and art in general. And then Tim Kelly got in, in touch with us and asked us to be part of this panel. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. So if you want to come yell at me about The Last Jedi, well, first off, you better come correct. One of the few things in the world that I know the most about is Star Wars. Oh, yeah. So do not do not walk into there hoping to get in a fight unless you've read all the way through Jason and Jaina in the extended universe, which I have. Unless you basically couldn't get a date in high school, don't don't even don't even prepare <laughs> to fight, because Nathan is on that panel. Yeah, I'm um, ready. Uh, on that panel is uh, it's myself, Tim Kelly, the owner of the Rook and Pond, one of the owners. Um, Nathan will be there, and then Will Leach from Waiting Since Last Saturday. So if you That's want exciting. to yeah. say anything to Will Will Leach or just high five him or yell at him in some sort of wrestling fashion, but yeah, so it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, we will be fielding questions for anybody. I think as well is kind of part of the. Mm-hmm. the event but it is this thursday december 21st at 10 p.m so it is a late night thing just because we don't want any kids to accidentally hear anything that are could be considered spoilers so come out have a beer meet us hang out whatever it'll be a lot of fun this has been chapel bell curve you can find us on itunes google play and pretty much everywhere you can subscribe to a podcast you can get in touch with us on facebook by searching chapel bell curve by email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on twitter and instagram at chapel bell curve Also, go check out our website, chapelbellcurve.com. It's a hub for all of our new content, our blog posts, our episodes, Twitter feeds, and anything else we find relevant throughout the week. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or anywhere else you find your podcasts. But until next time, you can catch us in the Classic City. And until then, go Go dogs. Go dogs.